Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my special guest today is Jennifer Holland. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Henry. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We've, we've talked about branding on the show several times in the past, but I think that Jennifer has a, a unique approach and it does a great job of communicating from a small business owner's perspective, how we need to think about branding. So we're going to chat about that, but Jennifer is also going to share with us her entrepreneurial journey, how she got from starting as an artist, a fine arts artist, to brand engagement and her having her own agency. And then, as I said, some insights on developing and maintaining an effective brand for your small business. To receive more information about the How of Business, including show notes page for this episode, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just go to thehowofbusiness.com. So let me tell you a little bit more about Jennifer. Jennifer Holland is a certified brand strategist, a business growth expert, a professional speaker, an author, and the owner of Holland People Plus, Plus Brands, Holland People Plus Brands, which is an integrated brand engagement agency. And Jennifer is going to tell us a lot more about the services that they offer. Jennifer is an esteemed thought leader and a trusted consultant in the brand development space. And she is one of the one of only a handful of certified brand strategists in the United States. For more than two decades, Jennifer has helped businesses and entrepreneurs clarify their unique offering, communicate those offerings with innovative messaging, and bring their brands to life with consistent brand promise delivery solutions. She co-developed the Holland Helix. The Holland Helix is a proven methodology aligning business plus brand plus people strategies and the highly sought after Build Your Brand Workshop curriculum which is licensed in six different markets across the United States and Canada. Jennifer is also an, an international published author, a professional level member of the National Speakers Association, and an expert resource speaker for Vistage International. She lives just north of me in Jacksonville, Florida. So once again, Jennifer Holland, welcome to the show. Thank you. And just to, to share with people how we came to know each other, I happen to have the, the privilege of being one of Jennifer's business coaches, and she has been one of my mentors on everything branding and, and marketing. So that's how we got to know each <laughs> other last year, right? Yes, yes. It's been a win-win. <laughs> Absolutely, it has. Absolutely, it has. And that's why I had to have you on the show. But let's start with how you got here. As I have come to know you, I know that you start, studied art, uh, drawing, sculpture, painting in college. And I, I've asked you this before, but I'd like you to share it again. What were your thoughts on what you wanted to do job-wise, career-wise, back when you were studying fine arts? Well, I was born an artist. You know, I was an artist while I was in elementary school. I was the school artist. Is that right? I, I made my living in art up until uh, I started having children. And I was an award-winning artist. I mean, I was in the um, National Small Works exhibition that was judged by the curator of the Guggenheim. I'm loved what I did. Why did you decide not to continue with that as a profession? Because I had three children. I was a single parent. My children, I, my children were very young. They were in elementary school. And I felt that I needed flexibility 
I also felt that I was being unfair to my employers and I was being unfair to me and my children. I mean, I had to save every sick day. When you have kids that close together, they were a year apart. Every sick, I had to save every time off, every vacation, every sick day for them in case one of them got sick because then it's a domino effect. You have all of them sick over time. Right. And I would miss meetings. And more importantly, I couldn't go on a single field trip. I could not be involved in my children's lives because I had to save those days for when they were sick. Yeah. So you had a, a job as well as you were doing art and raising three kids by yourself. No, once I started having children, I pretty much stopped doing art for the next doing the art. 15 yeah. years. Yeah. Absolutely. It took me 15 years to get back to it. I know. And I think you most recently have started to really bring that back into your life because one of the things that's common with business owners, if you've been so busy building your business that you kind of put that aside, is that fair? That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm always curious when someone has that artistic background, I'm a believer that there's a lot in business that is about creativity. Uh, I think of it as an art as well. I think of it as something that we're creating, but it happens to be this experience or this product or this service. How do you think this background and you being an artist has helped or influenced how you run your business? I would say that first and foremost, artists are typically deep thinkers, and that's been a huge benefit in my chosen field. I'm already a deep thinker and adding that to this level of strategy business development, the strategy alignment, all of those things play into directly into the background as an artist. It also gives me a high level of aesthetics. I think that the work that I provide is influenced by my understa deep understanding of color and composition and dimensionality. So I bring that into every single assignment. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, make you, you say deep thinking you, you as an artist, I got to think part of it is you, you observe things, you take it in, you notice the details. Yes. And you tend to, when you take it in, you tend to think differently about it. Mm. You start really looking at more than the flat two-dimensional experience, you really become mm -hmm. involved with it. So there's an interaction that's taking place when you're painting or sculpting that's direct, that all those energies are flowing back and forth. And I just feel like it, it creates something that continues to provide um, joy and um, an experience yeah, worthy, worthy of talking about. That's yeah. really the goal, right? Right. And that's that perspective is how then you're able to, if we translate it to branding, you'll look at the imagery of somebody's brand or even the words and you see beyond just what's there at face value. You have that ability to then interpret that back to the client to say, this is what you're communicating, whether you realize it or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Then you started, you, you had an agency that was a large, you know, physical brick and mortars agency. You, you shifted to virtual even before COVID, right? Correct. <laughs> so tell us about that experience a little bit. Well, I had clients all over. I was traveling more once we had moved from, we were an award-winning agency. And when I made the transition to more of the brand consultancy, 
Uh, at that time, I was traveling so much, it didn't really make sense to have a traditional bricks and mortar. Plus my staff, I had people who were driving 30 and 45 minutes each way. And some, of course, if there's traffic, it's longer. And it just made sense to put it out there. So we all decided we could work virtually. Yeah. So we maintain an office space that we can meet up at uh, when we need to. But other than that, we we went to a full virtual model back in 2015. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and also the thing that I'm curious about, Jennifer, is how did you end up with this focus on branding? How did you evolve to that, you think? I had... Uh, it's, it's rather long story. Let me see if I can cut to the chase. I, sure. basic, I basically had clients would come in or prospects, you know, any new business conversation, and they would ask for um, a, a brochure, a, a logo, whatever it was. And my question became, because I had also grown my own business from a startup, so I would ask, what do you want it to do for your business? What do you think this is going to do? Because if we don't have the information, right, Henry, if we don't have the information of why them, how can we possibly produce a logo or a brochure that's not informed? Right. That's not going to do a job for them. People think, oh, I have to have a logo. I have to have a brochure. I have to have a website. Yes, you may need those things. However, it's, it's the strategy behind it that becomes the blueprint for how those are developed. And if you do it out of sequence, you're gonna end up with really kind of clutter and you're gonna look like you're in a sea of sameness to pick up an old <laughs> adage. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into that because it's such an important topic, Jennifer, this, you know, I call it not being congruent or and you, you, you'll yes. explain it better, but yeah, that's such a critical thing, but you're right. I deal with this all the time. People that I help with starting their business and they get bogged down on, Oh, but, but the logo, well, like you said, the logo is great, but it's, that's not where you start, but we'll dive you know into that. Go ahead. You know, what's really funny about the logo is people will agonize and mm -hmm. not, you know, the, mm -hmm. they want it perfect. So they're afraid to release it and they needle it and noodle it and, tinker with it and mess with it. They may not even have a professional. They're just doing it. They just never right. quite release it. And the reality is, I mean, the Nike swoosh was a drawing on a piece of paper that became <laughs> iconic. Right. And you then when, when you when they first released it, it meant nothing to anybody. The word Nike nothing. meant nothing to anybody. Exactly. Look at Twitter. It's just a piece of clip art, but we understand what it means. Mm. <laughs> just, my point is the logo is less important. Not that it's not important, but it is much less important than the information that is assigned, the meaning that is assigned behind it, that has to be the foundation. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, before we continue to dive into it, I just want to ask you, as a business owner, you've been a business owner for some time now, when you stop and think about it, what, what, what is it that you enjoy about being your own boss? What does it provide you? It provides me the flexibility to serve, to make a difference, to do my best work. I prefer to do the best work I can without the political motivators, the entanglements and the restrictions that come with working inside a large institution. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And that's, I think that's, it's a common thing for a lot of us as business owners. All right, let's dive into it deeper. I, I, I thought we'd start as we've been touching around it, but I thought we'd start with your definition at a high level 
of what is branding? What's its purpose from a small business owner perspective? So let's start there if we could. Well, brand most simply put is simply your promise. It's that set of deliverable promises you're making to your customers every single day. So starting there and then making sure you're using that lens on every single decision. And so that's where we need to start back to, you know, you don't start with the logo is defining what is that promise that I'm making to the customer. But let's talk about a couple of examples, because where I find myself sometimes defaulting is, well, we're just going to be the best or we're going to deliver the best service, but it's got to be more than that, right? Absolutely. You have to be distinctive, right? You have to have a clear and compelling reason to choose you. I and mean, they have to value that promise. So that moves you into thinking strategically versus tactically. Creating that logo is really a tactical execution. But, and that we refer to as branding. Branding is all of those tactical executions that people love to do because they are exciting. You get to pick your colors and you get to set up your website and you get to create your first brochure. But brand development is a strategic initiative that starts with the C-suite. It is not relegated to marketing, although your branding might be. So the brand development is the uncovering of what is unique and ownable and of value to your audience. And then how do you communicate that to your audience? In what ways is it gonna be through a brand voice? Are you gonna have a positioning line? You might have a character. You see people who have a character in it, like the Geico <laughs> lizard is a character that represents that brand. So taking time to go through a brand development process is one of the most important foundational things any business can do. Yeah. There are a couple, I mean, we've mentioned a couple of examples already, but a couple of examples that come to mind of somebody who's doing that we would recognize that's doing it well, as far as uh, communicating that customer promise. Oh, you're asking me, forgive yeah, me. It, I yeah, thought you were getting ready to tell me. No, one. no, I'm sorry. No, I'm asking <laughs> because I know you're full of these examples. So uh, share with us a couple of examples of those examples of somebody who's doing it well. Well, I, my, one of my favorites is Jimmy John's. I'm not a sandwich person. I don't eat sandwiches hardly ever. Gosh, but I, I do. I love Jimmy John's. Oh, Jimmy John's is great. They have really figured it out and they do this well. So they're business strategy is to create fast sandwiches. And they installed the systems and processes to ensure that sandwiches are made quickly. More importantly, from a brand strategy perspective, they changed the way they communicated fast and they made it so fast you're freak, freaky fast, freaky fast. So now the, that line of operations their goal is to get that sandwich done before you finish paying. That's freaky fast. So they've got complete alignment. And they also have selected the people, the employee population that is capable of creating freaky fast sandwiches. So I feel like their lens is so clear when you look at the advertisements, you know, they used to see the bicycle guy jumping over a train to show freaky fast. Right. Everything is communicated clearly all along the walls. When you go in, the environmental branding is in place to communicate freaky fast so that we know it. So we remember it. Every advertising is communicating freaky fast. And every business decision inside that organization is hardwired to review under 
a freaky fast lens. Yeah, including it, including the limited menu. That's part of it. Exactly, exactly. And do they change it because they get tired of it? No. No, no. They haven't added chicken wings or a flatbread pizza. No. Because they want to, their promise is to deliver it fast. You know? Yes. And because they are being very consistent with what the population wants. I mean, it, it's very uh, disturbing for some. It's great to have the menu of the day where you have their special. And there's some places that change their menu regularly. Season's 52. They do it every season. Mm-hmm. But people go back because they want to have their favorite dish. Yeah. And Jimmy John's does a great job of honoring that. Yeah, it, it, um, I mean, throughout that, I think they're such a great example, even though it's a restaurant, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about other examples that are not a restaurant, is that congruency, or as you said, that alignment, and that's, yes. that's what's such a great example with them, is everything they do is in focus. And we're also, I, I want to people that are listening to take away and again, I've been challenged with this is it's a given that the product is good or certainly more than good enough. That's a given, but that's not enough. No. Now you could have picked up, we have the best subs, but now that becomes very subjective, right? Right. They can deliver on being fast and they can differentiate in the market on that promise, right? That's exactly right. And then, and the, the founder originally said in an interview, we don't claim to have the best gourmet sandwiches. That's not their claim. Now, do they make fresh bread every morning? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a good quality a good sandwich. sandwich. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you've touched on it, but I want to touch on some of the components of getting started and where and when they come. Because, uh, you know, obviously knowing how you teach this and your materials, let's start with the purpose statement. And does that come first? Is that part of what you've been explaining about? So tell me where that comes in, the purpose statement. The why statement, right? Yeah. That becomes your purpose statement. I see. Yeah. Simon Sinek, start with why. Why are you doing this? Why should anyone care? That little TED Talk video he did back in, I think it was 09 or 10. It's been a while now. It's been a while. And he has a book, which is basically a transcription of the talk. But the talk is what? 17, 18 minutes? 18 minutes. Yeah, it's a TED Talk. It's a great TED talk, and it really um, explains the emotional drawstring that un- having clarity around your why statement and the power that it brings to an organization. So that's the very first thing. It becomes the emotional drawstring of the brand. It already has overcome the barrier of facts and figures and people trying to logically assimilate all the information you're trying to communicate to see if they want to do business with you. And by starting with this emotional drawstring, which is should be the first thing in your brand statement, and we call it a brand essence statement, the first paragraph or two about you, when you have that and very clear and in place, you're going to attract those people who believe what you believe, who value what you value. You're really looking for sort of a values alignment, and they instinctively agree with what they have just read. It's just a difficult thing to do because when you're doing that kind of work, there's that part of the brain has no capacity for words, right? So it's difficult to get through. And I always tell people start there because it's the hardest thing you'll do. Everything after that gets easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Such good stuff there because what that also speaks to is that I find that sometimes we 
we have a tendency, clients I work with have a tendency, well, I want to appeal to everybody. Well, that usually doesn't work. What you've expressed is exactly what I've seen works is you're, we're looking for our tribe that align with these values that we're sharing are the reasons why we're in business, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It sounds like Seth Godin is a, you're a fan of (laughs) Seth Godin. He's great. Love him. Yeah. This is Henry Lopez pausing this episode for a moment to tell you about my trusted service provider for small business accounting, KPMG Spark. KPMG Spark is a managed accounting service that provides small and mid-sized businesses with bookkeeping, accounting and tax preparation, and payroll services all online for a simple low monthly fee. Now you can make more time for things that really matter in your business and let the experts at KPMG help you with your accounting. Most of us as small business owners are not experts in bookkeeping and accounting, and the accounting software solutions seem to have been developed for accountants and tax professionals. As a result, business owners often neglect their accounting or spend endless hours trying to learn how to make it work. KPMG Spark is an online bookkeeping and accounting service that saves you time so you can focus on what's most important for your business. And with KPMG Spark, you get a dedicated point person from KPMG who's always available to help. You simply pay a low monthly fee, depending on the plan you choose, with no long-term commitment. And KPMG Spark currently has a special offer for the Howa Business listeners. You get the regular onboarding fee waived. So visit thehowabusiness.com for more information and the link to learn more and schedule your free consultation with KPMG Spark. And remember to let them know that you heard about it on the Howa Business Podcast to receive this special offer. Right. Then we got to blend in what we've touched on in the Jimmy John's example as to what is our competitive differentiator or competitive advantage, right? We have to, we have to layer yes. that in. Absolutely. So you have to come up with, well, Harvard always, Harvard Business Review, they've always claimed you, every thought leader always says differentiation is part of an ongoing effort, right? You always mm-hmm. have to be looking at that. Mm-hmm. So we always start with, who are you? What do you do differently and why should I care? If Once you start uncovering what is unique and distinctive, you will eventually be able to distill it down into a clear and compelling reason to do business with you. We want to buy because we agree with what your beliefs are. We want to buy because this is what we want. What's different about you is something I want. And there's going to be a clear customer benefit at the end because of that combination. I get what because of who you are and what you provide. Which is, again, we're often it falls apart. Uh, yes. You know, I learned this in sales a long time ago. It was ingrained in me. It's, it's you know, not features, but benefits. And so that's where I find sometimes that the businesses struggle in their branding yes. is what is it, it, my, well, I had a great uh, leader, a sales leader. It always made us think, so what from the audience's perspective, so what, so what? And so translating all of that now into the benefit, the pain that I'm helping them solve or address is part of what branding does when it's all complete. Is that fair? Absolutely. And then that gets expressed to an extent and as you call it a position line, is, is, can that be the same as a tagline or is it yeah, longer than that? I feel it's different. And I'll tell you why. 
people who come up with a tagline or sometimes they call it a slogan, if it's good, it'll be sticky, it'll be memorable. So that's great. It just isn't gonna have any substance, right? It's not strategically comprised as the result that communicates the brand promise. One example, one of my clients had a, um, they were in the restoration business. So they did, if there was a hailstorm in the Midwest, activated, they activated their contractor network and they went out and fixed the homes, fixed the roofs. The client had five target audiences. And this is one of my beefs because people are always saying, <laughs> well, I got to talk to each audience. What, what does the message need to be? Do not have five different audience, uh, five different messages for those audiences. Come up with one that is a benefit to all and start there every time I see. and then go into each target audience message. So for them, they had the insurance carrier, the insurance agent, they had the adjuster, they had the homeowner and they had this 1099 contractor network that they certified and they certified the work. So it was a very well-built program. And the CEO called me one day and said, I think we need some help. We just got all these communications, all these messages. It's just, he was just getting covered up, battered with messaging and didn't feel that they were attracting the business they could. Not well, to mention that they were they were eroding each other, perhaps to some extent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what we came up with, just the sh getting right to the positioning line. Our positioning line was overachievers, and they trademarked it at the time. I don't know if it still has trademark because they've since sold. But overachievers, who doesn't want the overachiever on the right. job? The carrier right. wants the overachiever. The agent wants the overachiever. The adjuster wants the overachiever. The homeowner certainly wants the overachiever. And guess what? Our ads that we ran for the contractor network were overachievers wanted. Yeah. And it's an, <laughs> so alignment, it's an alignment with what they were providing. Like if it was a, uh, I don't know, a personal investment advisor, I'd, I'd probably want the methodical guy, not the overachiever, right? Right. Or my CPA, I want, I want the you know, methodical person, not the overachiever. So well, it was on know, we, target to some extent, I think. It was. And one of the CPA firms we did, the position line became directions to prosperity. Now mm. that's what you want from a mm -hmm. CPA. Of firm. course, of course. Okay, uh, I'm with you there. Uh, I want to go back to you since you touched on it, Jennifer, because I often also struggle with in that, in that example where they had five different avatars. My recommendation is always at least when you're starting out to try to focus on just one as if possible. What, what are your thoughts there? I think you're always talking to just one. And I okay. recommend you may have two or three personas that you're speaking to. I think more than that is hard. Now, this was a situation where there really were five. There really were. But who are they really selling to? The carrier, the homeowner, and the contractors. Okay. We're down to three. And then we're find down to what's three. common between those three was your point there and, and speak to that pain or that need. Well, it actually even became, when you're doing your positioning, you definitely want to look at all the audiences that are touched. So we looked at all five, but when you're communicating through marketing, you'll pick your top three. I see. Yeah. And right. then otherwise you'll be, otherwise you get too diluted or you're not going to have the budgets to, to, to effectively 
Yeah, it's too extended. Yeah, yeah, absolutely too extended. It's it. You are much better off being the hero for one to three. One to three. Yeah. People okay. sets of target audiences, and then from there they will talk and tell other people. You still may get some uh, overflow business or some pull through business, but you will not have to market to them. You can market regularly with the same message so that it ro- your message rises above the clutter in the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Too often, we just all blend together. We all say, you know, sound the same. I can't tell you how many communication audits I've done where it's the first step. A lot of people will say, well, just review my brand. Okay, send me some of your materials. I'm going to review your website. I'm going to look around on your online presence. And what I find is why you? I still don't understand what's different about you. You sound like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You may have one line that you're claiming, but you sound like everybody else. And there's no evidence of that distinction. Where is the evidence? We need to show that. We need to deliver that and communicate that so they understand and believe us. Yeah. And so a key part of that, Henry, is the brand promise delivery. So your employees have to deliver on that brand promise. So if you're not onboarding them to the brand promise and what they're expected and what the guardrails are and how they can deliver it and regularly encouraging them to come up with their own way to deliver it and share it with others so that the eventually the business becomes organic and has a brand-driven business then you are really getting some growth. You are really becoming known. And what's really powerful about a positioning line, which is how you position your business to your audience, is it's not only capable of communicating to the marketplace, it provides the lens to create rewards programs and incentive mm-hmm. programs to guide your selection and acquisition of talent. Yep. It really has much more substance to it. One client did a interview he was a gym and he had a service business or he claimed a service was his thing and he really had evidence of it he really delivered on service and when they would interview people bring the interviewee in sit him down listen i'll be right back says the interviewer mm. i'll be right back i gotta run next door and get some chairs they're short on chairs over there but i'll be right back okay When he comes back, he reaches out his hand. Thank you for coming in. I don't think you'll fit in here. Wait a minute. You haven't interviewed me. Oh, yes, I just did. If that person had instinctively got up and followed him to help, he would show that he has a service mentality capable of identifying when service is needed. Yeah, and not waiting to be told what to do also. Exactly. So you can imagine that would be a possible brand promise break later on, right? Because they didn't even notice it. Didn't I mean, notice the needs. We can talk about this for hours because I, it's such one of my pet peeves, especially in the service industry or B2C. Yes. You see it manifest in so many different ways, including one of the things that burns me is when they'll hire someone and put them facing the customer without training. So it, like it's, oh. it's my job as the, as the customer to train your staff, right? And to right. me, that symbolizes that signals that regardless of the posters on the walls and whatever your brand might be, that's where you're disconnected. And that's where now you failed on your promise to me that you supposedly are offering me in the marketplace. And you know what people don't understand is 
they'll, they'll buy insurance to mitigate risk. They'll do all kinds of things to mitigate risk, but they won't train their employees properly to mitigate the risk of yeah. disappointing a customer on great something point. they claim they deliver on. Yeah, great point. All right, let's talk about, we've kind of talked about uh, it, obviously from a building it, but you call it brand erosion. So I have an existing business. I have had my brand but there are things that happen over time that can lead to the erosion of the brand. So speak to me about that. Tell me about some of the things that lead to what you call brand erosion, if I'm getting the term right. Well, I think the easiest way to understand it is to remember that your brand is a highly valuable, intangible asset. You know, there's a whole field around asset management, right? Big corporations, they have this super expensive equipment. You don't maintain it, even in your own home as a homeowner. You don't maintain your equipment. You don't take care of it on a monthly, weekly, yearly, whatever your frequency is for whatever asset it is. Well, you're going to have problems and it's going to be more expensive to repair or replace. Whereas if you just maintain it all along, that thing can keep going forever. That's a really good example of how to think about your brand to ensure it doesn't erode. Mm -hmm. So now I'll move into erosion. I just wanted to set that up because truly... If you are managing your brand as a highly valuable asset, you will not experience erosion. Right, because I need to treat it just like you said, I, for a physical piece of asset of machinery, I usually have scheduled maintenance, but we don't seem to think of it that way for a brand because it's an intangible thing. No, no. And I tell you, I've recently had a client uh, return and they were well on their way with a wonderful brand driven business and- the business sold. This happens a lot when you invest in brand because sure. you get more attention, you get offers. So I quite frequently, I, my clients get acquired, which I love because it's great for them. That's what they wanted. But the new, the new owner, uh, they reached out to me thinking they might need X, Y, or Z. And as I got in there, I could see what has happened. So a, an owner and a employee or a the company may or may not notice it. So the, I see it right away, but I'll tell you one thing that helps. If you want to know if you've experienced brand erosion, take the thing you developed first that you really felt was you, whatever that was, like the best thing you've ever done. Maybe it was professionally designed, maybe it was, and then take a whole bunch of your other collateral ads, documents, word templates, PowerPoint templates, anything at all, lay them all out on a big table. Do they look like they came from the same company? Hmm, okay. Is the logo in the same place on every single, so that I have a consistent impression of your brand? Are you using the same colors? Are you bored with your colors? Have you changed them? Have you changed the font because you thought it was, this piece maybe needed a handwritten or cursive font, which undermines your professionalism right away? And most businesses, not all, but certainly professionals, services businesses. Right. You know, start looking at it that way. Spread it all out. Take a look. See, does it look the same? You should be able to identify any component, any single piece of collateral easily identifies with your brand and is communicating that one thing in some way. That is such a great uh, example of how, because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you was how do I look for that? And I can see where that is. It seems so simple, but it's so telling, isn't it? Yes. 
It's almost like I was trying to make an analogy as we were trying to make an analogy to other assets. If I have a fleet of vehicles and, you know, some of them look great and some of them are falling apart and some of them have tires that should have been replaced. If I look at that, it tells me that something is not consistent during the maintenance of that asset. Similarly, when I look at my marketing materials and I see that it could have been produced by five different companies, that tells, that tells me that either my brand wasn't clearly established initially or it has eroded. That's exactly right. And for most um, entrepreneurial businesses, it's quite a long time before they start really paying attention to that. Sure. It's a dimmer switch thing, right? It it happens over time. It does. It does. And if they've never had, I had one client in Connecticut, global company, uh, and they had a logo and everyone told me when I, they hired me because they wanted differentiate themselves a little more clearly against McKinsey. That's one of their main competitors. So they had this logo that the CEO, the founder had drawn Hmm. when he started the business. And everyone that I interviewed, because part of it is intelligence gathering, everyone that I interviewed said, oh yeah, but just don't touch the logo. He won't like that. (laughs) Interesting. So, and of course, of course, what do I do? I always touch the logo in some way. I always show a version of what it could be. And I show a version of taking what they have and just cleaning it up a little cleaner lines, just a little more aesthetic differentiation so that it is truly modern and stands the test of time. Yeah. And so that it communicates. That, that and I have to I have to tell you every single time they go with my new logo. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> Again, it's coming from a, you know, a, a, a third party that knows what they're talking about. So they hired you for a reason. So it goes a long way. Yeah. And I will say, I do not abandon the equity of a logo ever. I you, see. If you transition the, a logo. Is that? That's right. And sometimes it really is a good logo. It just needs modern colors or mm-hmm. it needs a slightly different, just a few tweaks, and it is a modern logo. So I'm very careful to maintain the equity of a brand because that is something you do not ever want to take a dip. Good point. Excellent. All right, let's start to summarize here. This is a two-part question because I want you to think about it from the perspective of I'm starting a new business and from the perspective of I have an existing business that I've been running for five years. And that is so from the business, the new business owner, where should I start? And some of this is recapping. Where do I start as I'm be planning to start my new business with branding? Well, you want to get clear. You want, you, I would watch that Simon Sinek video. Yeah, so it goes back to that why and starting there. Yeah. Start there. Get that really clear. And then start uncovering what is unique about, there's all kinds of stuff you can find on online to help you with differentiation. Our process is we go into a business and I spend six hours with a cross section of their people to get the most information at one time. And everyone provides better information in that cross section set because now they're, they're be, you know, sort of feeding off each other and going deeper than they could have on their own. And you want to get a bunch of possible unique value propositions identified and then go back and pick your top three to five. Mm-hmm. What is that? So when we work with the client, we will actually take them through that process. And before we leave the room, they have agreed upon, we have consensus on the why statement, 
the three to five truly unique value propositions, and we often get to the customer benefit statement. If we don't, we have enough to work with that I can come back and articulate that well for them. So that is what it takes even with me as a professional. Mm -hmm. So I would say to a startup, be, be gentle, be patient, because it is going to take some time. Set aside a couple hours every Saturday where you just go deep on this and keep working it. If you've got a couple folks that are part of your team, 1099ers or whatever, include them. Explore. Get curious. That is so important. We, we do for small businesses too. We have a um, build your brand workshop that Mm -hmm. we really haven't done since COVID, but we've been doing them since 2013. And you mentioned them earlier on the intro where we've got a couple of dates that we're about to announce for the fall. And that is an ideal place for small businesses to learn the foundation. They'll get a workbook and they'll be able to um, work on this. A lot of them will bring team members if they have them. And sometimes larger businesses send their marketing director to it to thinking that it's just marketing, which I hope I've expressed it's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but just getting your team together at the very least, if you know, if you're just want to take the first great step, get your team together and get curious. Yeah. All right. Great, great stuff there. And then for an existing business owner, what, what I've been taking away from the conversation, Jennifer, is at a high level, the thing that stuck with me the most is manage this brand asset, just like all of your other assets in your business. And then you laid out the example of looking at your marketing collateral materials and seeing what that tells you. Those are two great ways to determine if perhaps you have some erosion. And then they might bring in someone like you to do a brand refresh and an analysis of where that erosion is happening. Is that right? That's right. They also, another thing to get outside perspective on that is on the erosion side. I don't, I'm always a believer of the inside out approach. I think what's unique and ownable is inside the DNA of a business and you can't find it by looking at the competitors or asking the customers. I don't think you get there. However, if you have an established base, you're an existing business, you want to know if there's been brand erosion or you want to understand if it's being communicated clearly and in a compelling way, you absolutely could do your own little survey monkey and reach out, you know, just do a customer perception research of your own to your client base. See what they say. If you don't have them saying the same thing back, you don't have clarity. And that's what you need first. Yeah, that's a great exercise. That's a great advice. All right, let's start to wrap it up. So you mentioned the workshops. Again, go to the website. What's the website? We'll mention it again at the end, but what's the website you want them to go to to check on the dates for the Belgian brand? It's the hollandhelix.com. So Holland like the country and helix like a DNA helix, hollandhelix.com. Excellent. And that's where they can also uh, find to book a free consultation with you, correct? Yes, just simply, you know, they can just email me from the website and in the subject line, put down, put down the word Henry. How about that? There you go. Co- Coach Henry. It's not going to get you and then I'll know special, but no, just kidding. Hey, get some a consult. <laughs> there you go. That's, right. That's valuable stuff. It so, is. So yeah, absolutely. So t- take up, take her, take Jennifer up on this opportunity. Look at the workshops. This is great stuff. There's lots of content on her website as well, but the free consultation is always something I encourage and see if she might not be able to help you at a minimum, 
you're going to get value out of the conversation with her. I assure you. Yeah. All right. Let's yeah. talk about books. You know, I, I always look for recommendations on books. We've talked about start with why Simon Sinek. It's not just a Ted talk, but also a book that I think is a great read. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? One of my favorite foundational books I used to recommend to my CEOs. Uh, it's a rather old now, but it's still a very great book. It's called the building the brand driven business by Scott Davis. And one of the newer books that have come out that is also a great read for trying to understand brand and how it applies in your world is Denise Yon's book, What Great Brands Do. I, I think both those books are a great read for a, a founder or an entrepreneur or a CEO. Wonderful. So the uh, building the brand-driven business and what great brands, uh, what was the last part of that? What great brands. What great, what great brands do. Do. Kind of got tongue twisted. They were great brands. Excellent. Thank you for those recommendations. I'll have those on the show notes page, as well as links to uh, Jennifer's website. So all of that will be on the show notes page to this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. Jennifer, we'll wrap it up with these last two questions. What is one thing that you want us to take away from this conversation we had about branding for small businesses? The one thing would be managing your brand as an asset is the single most important thing to take away to understand that brand development is not branding and brand development and managing your brand because we don't own our brands. Your customers do. Mm, yeah. It's what they say. So if you don't get clear, they aren't clear. And if you don't build the guardrails and manage those perceptions, you aren't turning your customers into marketers. If they clearly know why you, your brand becomes more valuable and they become your marketers. Yeah, because when we help our customers refer us, that's when they really become evangelists for us. And that's, that's when it really starts to work, right? If in turn Absolutely. they say, yeah, you know, I, I dealt with Jennifer, but I, I don't know quite what she does, or I think she does this, that then that's another example of where you might have a disconnect on your brand, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to arm them with the information. So they, because today it's not really an environment of trust, is it? We want to look at, if we get referred by someone who we don't know very well, what are we doing? If someone refers me to a plumber, I'm going to go check them out. Yeah, first. You're going to vet them anyway. Yeah. Right. I'm going to see it. Do they have any reviews? Do they have a presence? Do they have a right? I'm going to check all that out. Now, if it's someone very close to me that I trust dearly and they say, Oh, you need to call this person. I may not need anything more, Sure. but you, that is not the reality. We're always reading reviews. We, we trust those. Build your online reviews on Google. I mean, you want to have let them find evidence of your credibility. Right. But a referral that is very specific to, and they have clarity on why they think that service or provider is a fit for me. Oh, is, that sells them right I, in. As opposed to, oh yeah, you know what guy, I know a guy who does yard work and he might be able to help you with the fence. Is different <laughs> from, oh no, no, no. Henry is, he is the fencing expert. That's <laughs> exactly. You, that's a lot of difference there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. For my clients, they know that I'm all about brand and they know that my promise is prosperity through double digit growth. What the program that we have creates sustainable double digit growth. 
that's anyone that's worked with me already knows that and they understand it. And over time, they, they get to implement it, right? I mean, I help them to a certain point and then a brand should be organic and should grow on its own. You need to activate it internally with your people. Great stuff, Jennifer. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. Hollandhelix.com. H-O-L-L-A-N-D-H-E-L-I-X. Wonderful. Jennifer, great conversation as I knew it would be, as people now know why you're my mentor for, for things related to branding <laughs> and, uh, and, and a great client to have and a great friend. Thank you for taking the time to share all of this, all of this information and being with me on the show today. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Henry. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Jennifer Holland. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find me anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.